Happy Communist Day Eve. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Brian Sussman here. It's the Brian Sussman Show podcast. And this, of course, is our Skyjacked series. We've been, gosh, this is episode 20 of the Skyjack series. It was 20 episodes leading us to Earth Day, which, of course, is tomorrow, April 22nd, 2023. Earth Day has never been about celebrating the wonders of this terrestrial ball. It's a communist holiday started in 1970 by a troika of socialist dreamers, radicals, one a senator, Gaylord Nelson of Wisconsin, another Dennis Hayes, a anti-Vietnam or protest organizer from Stanford University who literally hated America, and uh, then Paul Ehrlich, the guy who wrote The Population Bomb, the bioethicist. So that's tomorrow. Again, it's a day that will live in infamy because 1970 was the 100th anniversary of Vladimir Lenin. Vladimir Lenin, the first disciple of Marx to get a hold of a country, that would be the Russia and then the Soviet Union. Uh, he only had it for a brief period of time, but during that brief period of time, 5 million people died. Starvation, turmoil, economic, e- economy in the dumper. And, and while all this was going on, he spent hours and hours every day writing about the environment because he wanted to protect it from capitalism. That's Earth Day, my friends. That is Earth Day. In this particular segment, I'm really glad you're here. I'm going to be sharing things in this segment I have never shared publicly. Much of this is for a book that I'm working on which will be a follow-up to my books, Climate Gate and Eco-Tyranny. I don't have a publishing date set at this point in time. I'm still in the process of putting together the book proposal. That's how it kind of works in the, uh, in the professional book biz. You know, I could self-publish, but quite frankly, anybody can self-publish. But when you, when you do a book the way that I've done my books, it requires sending your proposal to your agent. The agent then sends the proposal to the publishers because the publishers will not deal with uh, an author without an agent. It's very much like Hollywood. But you know, all that brings about a better book. It really does. It brings about a better book because putting together a real authentic book proposal will sharpen anyone's book. And you've got to have it very well dialed. And it's got to be respected and accepted by your literary agent who then passes, you know, dusts it up a little bit, passes it along to the publisher. And once you finally get a publisher, then you get all sorts of things along with the publisher. You get an editor to make sure the book's great. Uh, you get somebody to uh, do the, uh, they'll, they'll help you find somebody to properly endorse the book. Uh, the, the front cover and the back cover will be professionally put together so that it is able to easily market your book, you know, with, with professional art. So just, it's a wonderful process. It's an arduous process. There's a lot of work involved, but I'm excited about this book. I'm really excited about this book and I'm going to be sharing some of it with you in this podcast entitled sustainable development, by the way, more on me, briansussman.com. Please go to my Facebook page, Brian Sussman Show. What I've been doing at Brian Sussman Show is a daily stuff. It's everyone is entitled. Uh, everyone is entitled. No, 
period. Really, period. Go ahead and fact check this, period. And then I give some stuff that I'm sure the the censors at Facebook are really PO'd about because I'm, I'm explaining the truth. I'm talking about the truth regarding, you know, this week has been about climate, but I've had some things to say about other topics that are in the news involving sexuality and other delusions. So again, Facebook is Brian Sussman Show. Please like it and please uh, share it because I am so throttled on Facebook. It's ridiculous. I don't have a Twitter account because I was throttled off that long ago. I do have an Instagram account, Daily Doses of Inspiration. That's at Brian Sussman Show as well. Sustainable development. Let's get into this. This will probably be a little bit longer podcast than I usually do. But uh, there's a lot here. So let's begin with this. If I were to ask several of you on the more conservative side of the aisle to define sustainable development... I would pro- if I asked if I asked 10 of you to define sustainable development, I would get 10 different answers. Answers would be like this: recycling, solar and wind energy, no more fossil fuels, organic farming, electric cars, protect nature. Here's the truth: sustainable development, it's a metaphoric term craftily designed to produce buy-in. It is a rhetorical illusion that on the surface sounds great to most people. Yeah, wow, sustainable development, protecting the environment, I'm in. Marketing branders came up with this name. Marketing branders bank on clever names and phrases. For example, boom, one word, two syllables, Nike, Greek goddess of victory. What the best name ever for a sports brand. The store chain Target, Target indicates the corporate's driving goal. What do you want? Boom, there's the Target. Go, buy it. Metaphorical brands can also be emotionally powerful to the point of disharmony. Consider as a prime example in the day and age in which we live. Black Lives Matter. Brilliant. Black Lives Matter. Of course, Black Lives Matter. I'm all in. Well, do you know what the organization's about? Because I think if you knew what the organization was all about and you read their doctrinal statements, you would say, hmm, I don't know if I'm all in or not. Brilliant, brilliant marketing. Sustainable development was not just randomly pulled out of a hat. The term brings to mind a myriad of intentions because that was the plan. That was the plan all along. But for those who understand the real motives behind the subtle concept of sustainable development, the answers to the question, the responses, they're significantly more refined because here's what sustainable development really means. For those who understand it, let's say you've, you've graduated from college in the last five years and you actually paid attention, you would probably say this. Hmm. Social development means equity. And some of you are thinking, what? uh, Excuse me. Sustainable development means equity. Some of you would, uh, and uh, here's another one. Sustainable development means social justice. And again, some of you in this audience are saying, what? Equity? Social justice? Sustainable development, the end of capitalism. What? No, that's, that's what it really means. 
Sustainable development means equity. It means social justice. It means the end of capitalism. But specifically, here's what it means. Meeting the needs of the present without compromising the future. You're listening to that saying, I don't hear anything about social justice or equity or capitalism being ending, ending there. It's because you don't know what the plan is. Meeting the needs of the present without compromising the future. The needs of the present are equity, are social justice, are the end of capitalism. Because that's the future we want. We want a future that is equitable. We want a future with social justice. We want a future without capitalism. That's sustainable development. Friends, this is, this is the climate agenda is a cult. It, it has nothing to do with, with the climate, really. It has nothing to do with pollution, really. At the end of the day, these goals, equity, social justice, end of capitalism, that's what this is all about. They have taken the climate and made this, made this the, the driving force, the weapon, if you will, to bring forth a brand new world. And, and there is compliance with all of this. And I'll, I'll note some of this. Have you noticed the significant percentage of people in their 20s and 30s who have no interest in a car or homeownership? Millennials, Gen Z, um, these kids were forced to celebrate Earth Day. So basically anyone under 40 and especially those who are younger. They were forced to celebrate Earth Day their entire lives. They were fed an interdisciplinary scholastic diet of green their entire lives. And by the way, the car manufacturers are noticing this. They have the best marketing techniques in the world, and they're noticing there's a problem with the younger generations. Now, it is true that by and large, this group has lower earnings, fewer assets and less wealth than prior generations did at the same ages. It's also true that gas prices are through the roof and the cost of insurance is very, very high these days. But this generation has been raised green. So what happens when, when so many of these kids go to college and may I just for a moment take a little sip of coffee, would you mind? Thank you. This is, as, for those of you who are regular listeners to my old radio show, this is what I would do all the time. Mm. Ah, just like mother used to make. And I hated mother's coffee. <laughs> and that's what I would always say, right? Okay, so back at it. If you kids who go to so many of the colleges these days who come out woke, what do they want to do? They desire the city life. They want to live in a small condo. They want to live in an apartment complex. They want to live in stack and packed housing. They like the convenience of being able to walk from their apartment down to, uh, to Starbucks. And they love the fact that um, they can Uber or Lyft anywhere they want to. And if they've got a bike, they can use that. If they've got an e-bike, hey, it's even better. And boy, that's sustainable, isn't it? No, it's, it's the lithium. They can DoorDash their meals. They can stay close to their screens. They can have medical uh, cannabis delivered to the front desk of the apartment complex. If they do a weekend away, they'll hit up a friend who has a car or borrow one for a parent. As for a house someday, well, maybe they'll get lucky and inherit one. 
and then they can sell it and they can buy a condo downtown. Their carbon footprints are small. Their lives are completely dependent on the infrastructure surrounding them just as planned. That's sustainable development as well. Control, control. Sustainable development was created by planners at the United Nations. Now, the United Nations is a joke. It started in world, right after World War II, 1945, founded in San Francisco. Their charter, maintain international peace and security, first and foremost. Okay, regarding that, they've done a horrible job. Maintain international peace and security. There's been a war going on every year that they've been around. And some big wars as well. <laughs> UN, maintain international peace and security. Your organization is a joke, but man, do they craft some fanciful rhetoric, put together some wonderful documents designed to take over the world. Sorry, I'll, I'm getting a little fired up here. Let me just bring it down a notch. Uh, they are notorious, 193 members now. They started out with 51 countries. Now there's 193. They are notorious for their many words and their endless paper, paper shuffling. They've never prevented or stopped a war. Over one quarter of the countries represented at the UN are dictatorships. Some of them even sit on the UN Humans right, Human right, Rights Council. The UN is a joke, but they're so influential. The organization's Supreme Assembly is the Security Council. Uh, the first and foremost nuclear powers, U.S., Russia, China, France, United Kingdom. They all have a veto. Because these five powers rarely find themselves on the same side of a conflict, the U.N. Ver very rarely intervenes anywhere. Look what's going on in, in Russia and, and Ukraine right now. <laughs> what's, where, where's the United Nations? It's a joke. And then there's China, a giant slave state. Share a Bible with a Chinese citizen, you're sent to prison, maybe even death. What's the UN going to do if China tries to recapture Taiwan? Give me a break. The UN charter reads like a self-satire. And while there's plenty of hypocrisy in international relations, it's, uh, it's never very good when your organization's objectives double as a punchline. <laughs> it's true. That's from Stephen Daisley, by the way, writing at The Spectator. But, but here's, here's where we are in terms of the United Nations and sustainable development. I was going online. I went online in research for my book, and I was just looking at various teacher's guides on sustainable development. I found one from Vanderbilt University. It's very typical, what you find from universities. It says this, sustainability offers a novel framework for asking enduring philosophical questions. What is the good life? How do we create a better world? Thinking and teaching about sustainability are future-oriented projects, but the relevance of sustainability principles and practices must be articulated in the present. A good life, a better world. Did you hear that? Who wouldn't be for that? But when you dig into the details, good and better are subject to the eyes of the teacher. This, this is why so many people are drawn to the climate agenda and so many people love sustainable development. It's because it's promising, well, it's promising heaven on earth. 
to fully grasp the roots of sustainable development, you have to look back to an extremely significant environmental event in 1976. This was six years after the first Earth Day. And sure enough, the Vanderbilt University Teacher's Guide on Sustainable Development goes right there. This is like the Bible to these people. The United Nations Conference on Human Settlements, or Habitat One, took place in Vancouver, Canada in 1976. Now remember, people on the, the, the organizers on the left work like the devil himself. They're very, very patient. This was 1976. The term sustainable development was not, was not brought forward at this gathering in Vancouver. They were, they were very patient with this. The focus of Habitat One was land, specifically private land and private land ownership. Now, I'm going to read you Agenda Item 10 from Habitat One. This, this could have easily been written by Karl Marx or Vladimir Lenin. It says this, listen to this. Land cannot be treated as an ordinary asset controlled by individuals and subject to the pressures and inefficiencies of the market. Private land ownership is also a principal instrument of accumulation and concentration of wealth and therefore contributes to social injustice. Did you hear what I just said? Let's back up on this. They're saying land, there are lots of you listening to this podcast, you own your own property. That is your land. That's yours. But the UN saying you can't, that's, that's not an asset. That shouldn't be owned and controlled by, by you. Private land ownership, they say, is a principal instrument of accumulation and concentration of wealth and therefore contributes to social injustice. If you're a landowner, a commercial landowner, a private landowner, maybe you've got a few acres, maybe you're dreaming of a few acres, they're saying that even by dreaming that, you are contributing to social injustice. So you've got an entire generation raised on this pablum. Of course, of course they're not interested in home ownership. That's, that's social injustice. I mean, they're, you know, people can't afford homes. That's just not fair. Listen, to, I'm going to continue here. If unchecked, this could become a major obstacle in the planning and implementation of development schemes, as they just called it, development schemes. They're getting closer to saying sustainable development, but they don't say it. This is 1976. The provision of decent dwellings and healthy conditions for the people can only be achieved if land is used in the interests of society as a whole. Public control of land use is therefore indispensable. Do you see the United Nations since 1976, with all of the countries involved, have been signing these declarations and creating these documents, putting forward the notion that no one should be able to be allowed to own private land. This comes right from Vladimir Lenin. This comes right from Karl Marx and his writing partner, Frederick Engels. Private land ownership contributes to social injustice. Did you hear that? Of course you did. 
If unchecked, it will become a major obstacle in the planning and implementation of development schemes. Public control of land use is therefore indispensable. That is sustainable development without even saying anything about sustainable development. It's, it's amazing. The, the theory of, this is right from the Communist Manifesto. It says this. The theory of the communists may be summed up in a single sentence, abolition of private property. Now that was written by Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. Stop the press. This is right from the communist manifesto. Karl Marx and Frederick Engels said this, the theory of the communists may be summed up in the single sentence Abolition of private property. This is just what the United Nations is calling for. You see, private land ownership contributes in their mind to social injustice and directly interferes with the UN's development schemes and what a scheme it is. Sustainable development has become a brand for radical environmentalist activism. It's become a brand for socialists and communists who want to see America changed. First and foremost, the concept sustainable development was unveiled in something called the Brundtland Report. The Vanderbilt University uh, Teacher's Guide on Sustainable Development talked about the Brundtland Report which is also referred to as our common future. The left heralds this as if it were brought down from Mount Sinai by Moses. They all talk about it. Some, some other things brought forth in uh, this, this our common future. The earth was renamed the biosphere. Transfer of wealth from rich to poor. And this, this is co- coerced transfer of wealth, you know, through taxes, etc. That That's now known as economic growth. And energy rationing is called lifestyle adjustment. Do you see what's happening here, friends? So the earth is the biosphere. It's no longer earth, biosphere. We're all one with, with the mother. Transfer of wealth coerced transfer of wealth that's called economic growth so when i take from your paycheck and distribute that's called economic growth now that's called a handout and generally speaking those handouts create dependency which is exactly what they want this is why the world economic forum who by the way only three years ago you know the un would produce all these documents but nothing would really ever get done. More radicals would be inspired, but nothing would really ever get done. That's why the UN partnered three years ago with the World Economic Forum. Now they've got some of the most rich and powerful and influential people on the planet working with them to get things done. But, but getting back to what I'm saying, do you see what's happening here? Energy rationing. Lifestyle adjustment. What's going on? As the price of gas goes up, especially in certain states, um, like California, 
people are are driving less. People are saying, well, gosh, maybe I should get an electric car. I, I know the lithium batteries are really dangerous, but uh, right? Lifestyle adjustment. You know, the PG&E, uh, Pacific Gas and Electric, provides most of the energy in the state of California. Uh, their prices have shot through the roof. The, the way that it's being propagandized is to blame PG&E. PG&E has nothing to do with it. We have an energy commission in California that determines what the rates are going to be. PG&E just delivers the product. So when they raise the rates, what happens? Lifestyle adjustments. There are elderly people on a fixed income who are saying, well, I guess I just got to wear uh, more clothes around the house in the winter because I'm freezing. Uh, there are others who are saying, oh, well, maybe I'll just use my fireplace. Oh, darn, I can't use that anymore because where I live, they don't allow fireplaces. Well, maybe I should just finally move into a condo. Lifestyle adjustment. Young people looking at the price of housing and big houses and the price of electricity and and um, looking at property taxes and then noticing gas bills. Oh, I don't worry that. I'll stack and pack housing. Uber, let's go. Lifestyle adjustments. Let me continue to read here from Our Common Future because that was the document that, um, again, is it's heralded by the left as like the best thing ever. It introduced carbon dioxide as the cause of global warming and a threat to world peace and an agent of economic inequality. You're saying, what? Yes, friends, this is why carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide, carbon is the backbone of life. It, Carbon dioxide is nature's fertilizer. It's, it's a threat to world peace. It's an agent of economic inequality. You just go to our common future. Here's what they say. Listen to this. The risks of global warming make heavy future reliance upon fossil fuels problematic. Okay, what in the world are we going to do? You really think that solar array... All the solar arrays, they're only good when the sun's shining. Cloudy days don't work. All those windmills and wind turbines, they only generate energy when the wind is blowing properly. All of those, all of those um, renewables are backed up by natural gas. This is insanity. So what happens when there's no more natural gas because they've cut it off? We've got more natural gas than it's, it's so abundant. What are we going to do? Nuclear? Well, the left by and large doesn't like nuclear power. Hydro? My gosh, hydro's fantastic. But I know in, in certain states like California, they're tearing down hydro plants. Solar and wind, really? So what happens when the sun's not shining and the wind's not blowing? Lifestyle adjustment. Deal with it. Next, all nations may suffer from the releases of industrialized countries. Um, all nations may suffer from the releases by industrialized countries of carbon dioxide. All nations will also have a role to play in securing peace, in changing trends, and in writing an international economic system that increases rather than decreases inequality, that increases rather than decreases numbers of poor. Friends, that was all, that was all 
in the same paragraph. Carbon dioxide, they're saying here, will decrease equality and increase inequality. That's what they're saying. The release of carbon dioxide brings about an unjust world. That's what they're saying. An increase in carbon dioxide will increase the number of poor and hungry people. That's what they're saying. This, this is a belief system that is cult-like. Do you understand why I get so fired up about this? And then, then they go on and on in this Bruntler report, Our Common Future, to talk about social injustice. They ramped it up on steroids in 2006. They came out with a big paper called Social Injustice in an Open World. It's a 146-page document, flowery, utopian language. See, this is, this is a religion. It's heaven on earth. This is like the book of Revelation to them. Listen to this. Social injustice is not possible without strong and coherent redistributive policies conceived and implemented by public agencies. Redistribution. Take from those who earn, give to those who don't earn. Social justice will only flourish if environmental preservation and sustainable development constitute an integral part of growth strategies now and in the future. They're saying we will not have social justice without environmental preservation and social development, uh, sustainable development. This, this may have been written by Karl Marx himself. Now, I'm going to continue here because it's, it's amazing. This same paper, this 146-page document from the UN 2006, has a paragraph that I just want to read to you. And it'll, it'll, it'll illustrate what kind of deep doo-doo we're in and why we need to sober people up and rescue them from this cult. This is one paragraph. The concept of social justice and its relevance and application within the present context requires a more detailed explanation. As mentioned previously, the notion of social injustice is relatively new. None of history's great philosophers, not Plato or Aristotle, Confucius or Arevanos, even Rousseau, Rousseau or Kant, saw the need to consider justice or the redress of injustices from a social perspective. The concept first surfaced in Western thought and political language in the wake of the Industrial Revolution and the parallel development of socialist doctrine. What they're saying is, this comes from minds like those of Karl Marx. It emerged as an, ex they didn't say that though, but that's what they meant. It emerged as an expression of protest against what was perceived as the capitalist exploitation of labor, Karl Marx, and as a focal point for the development of measures to improve the human condition. Sustainable development, my friend, social justice, equity, Oh, they sound so wonderful. This is communism. They're, they're, they're telling these young people that there's this utopian world that we can all help create. 
Every time this has been tried in the past, it works horribly. Let's just forget the economic collapse that would be associated with something like this. Let's talk about people like you and me who would not be re-educated. We, I, you're not going to re-educate me on this. You can send me to a re-education camp, the likes of which they have to this day in China. It's not going to work. Now what do you do to me? Life in prison. Okay, that becomes expensive. Now what are you going to do to me? Well, you know what happens next. And I suppose if we get to that point in time, there will be many who say, well, you know, these people, it's, it's their own choice. It's their own choice. Because that's usually the way it works out. God, I pray that you will just open the eyes of people and see the madness that we are involved in here. And I pray to God that more and more people will wake up to the truth and let the truth set them free. <sighs> Jesus. Well, okay, friends, now you see why I'm so passionate about this, and now you know why my wife has told me, write another book. So uh, if you're a person of prayer, and I know many of you are, pray that this book gets written properly and that uh, my voice is heard on these issues because this is serious, serious stuff. I appreciate you so much for listening and supporting me. Uh, not that there's anything to support with these podcasts. I, mean, I do this just because I do it. I, I'm, I don't get anything in return in terms of uh, uh, money. I, that's not where I'm at at this point in my life. I do this because it's a calling. It's not a job. It's a calling. That's why I do this. BrianSussman.com is the website. Brian Sussman Show. Facebook, please like. Please follow. Um, it is, I'm so throttled on that platform. And again, publishers like to see your tribes, your social media tribes. And then uh, I think my, my favorite place on the internet is my Instagram feed, Daily Doses of Inspiration. Boom, done. Brian Sussman Show. All right? God bless you, my friends. God bless America. God bless freedom. May it reign throughout the world. Oh. And I'll just conclude with this. One word, it's Greek. You can look it up for yourself if you don't know what it means. Maranatha.